A shortened season missed playoff team right after a Stanley Cup Finals appearance, and you ask yourself what version of this Dallas group for the upcoming season is closer to the team's identity. I looked pretty bad for predicting Dallas would be playoff bound last year, and yet here we are again, and as promised, I'm going to say this team is going to rebound and be playoff bound. It's a vet group, and if they can be healthier, there is no reason they won't be. They also treated the offseason like they want to win now. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim Bigelow. Was it a Stanley Cup reunion tower-like off-season free agency frenzy for Dallas? As we have a look at the off-season moves of all eight focused division teams, two things come training camp, more moves may have happened, but we do have insight into what to expect based on what has happened so far. This is a team-focused 2021-22 draft and free agency review for the Dallas Stars. I've shared my thoughts on what happened with this group last season, and there are changes here that at best can be described as supporting cast ones, not core ones. The reason is that other than a healthy core group, there isn't much to be worried about with Dallas. Dallas GM Jim Nill may have looked to just be signing whomever it may have seemed to some, but I got to tell you, as far as sitting down to make a team depth chart for these review podcasts, Dallas was simple to do as far as what pieces went in with what went out and on paper it looks good and a solid playing group and additional depth for hopefully spot duty injuries not key ones if i had a request it would be even more so than last year dallas coach rick bonus sat down and watched minnesota and coach dean evison's line deployment this dallas lineup even more so than minnesota's now currently should be deployed that way honestly about the only variable about the lineup is the ability to return to health and be finally at it for a full regular season to me that's not why you rank a team lower give you an example the knock on colorado last year was simply could go away philip grubauer stay healthy i picked colorado to win the west i didn't worry about who won the president's trophy or not in interdivisional play but it's to say I was sure that Grubauer's stats when he did play made Colorado a front-running team. So this Dallas team has several players that short of being one of the Dallas team doctors, I don't know the insider scoop on, but the Dallas offseason makes me think that the Dallas organization is pretty confident about that because GM Nil worked on tweaking the supporting cast with veterans. It looks like he consciously said Dallas can win with this group and the core isn't getting younger. It's not to say there aren't some quality young players in the team mix. It just feels the top prospects for the most part are going to have more development time for a number of them while a very starting lineup of vet tries to get Dallas over the top. Dallas fans should be re-energized and the rest of the league would be wise not to sleep on this Dallas team, much in the same way most slept on Minnesota a year ago. If all you have is the reason they won't be back with the division best Central Division teams this upcoming season is injuries, I think maybe forego that fallback 
and as we will, where this lineup playing under reasonable conditions should be because that's closer to the expected level they will be. Of course, I'm here to tell you as we look through the team's additions and departures of the depth chart why you really have to put Dallas as an expected playoff team this upcoming year. The 2021 draft 15th overall pick belonged to Dallas and the 14th player selected because of Arizona's forfeited pick at 11. I, in a draft preview, predicted accurately the 15th overall pick to be Goy Sebastian Casa. But this year, there was so many trade pick trades. It was Detroit GM Steve Eiserman that traded Dallas for the 15th pick to take Casa. As I had explained, that while Dallas had Jake Ottinger, the timeline of selecting Casa still worked from the goaltending depth chart that pretty much would set up Dallas humbly for a long time, the present, the immediate future, and several years from now. If Casa doesn't live up to the expectation level of the next Andre Vasilevsky fair, but if he even pans out near to that, I will remember Dallas traded his pick away when they should have picked him. Dallas moves down to pick 23rd and adds two picks, so the successfulness of even a pair of them could also work out to be a better investment. Center Wyatt Johnson is Dallas's Detroit pick via Washington, and the pick 48 second round is defenseman Artem Grushnikov, and pick 138 in the fifth round, defenseman Jack Barr, and those are the three players Dallas drafted for passing on Casa. It'll be years before we see how that works out. I usually only talk about each team's first three rounds picks, but because Barr is part of the return for Detroit getting to select Casa, I wanted to at least include him as he is part of the return of player picks. Additionally, pick 47, Dallas's own second rounder was center Logan Stankoven, third rounder left wing Arton Martino, a pick via Vancouver for the Jason Dickinson trade, and left winger Justin Ertel, Dallas's own third rounder. Of the Central Division teams, Dallas all in all ends up with five picks, the first, two seconds, and three thirds for one of the bigger collection of draft picks of the divisional teams. So while it's too early to project the quality of the group, it actually is a group of players for the team organizational development and draft, and development is vital to any NHL team being good. Dallas was one of the teams that went with quantity in picks versus quality because of the lack of game scouting caused by COVID. It will be a while, of course, before we are talking about any of those picks and NHL regular roster spots. Also, it's why I don't talk about the later draft rounds. We are going to switch to talk about the Dallas step chart positionally after the free agency frenzy starting in net. Goal, Dallas starter from last year, Anton Hudobin, 35, but back up to the injured Ben Bishop, 34, who waived his no-trade clause to be exposed in the expansion draft. Another tiny piece of maneuvering by GM Nil, as he wasn't selected. And last year's backup, Jake Oninger, 22, who still fell under rookie protection status, meant Dallas kept all three goalies. Nil goes out and grabs Braden Holtby, 31, who played in Vancouver last year and signs him to a $2 million one-year deal. First, I think it is a tell that Ben Bishop may not, in fact, be healthy to play this upcoming season. And again, how Dallas was able to put him in the expansion draft, missing a whole season. Well, they were allowed to, but I, for one, do hope Bishop does return to play and plays good. 
It's fair to say Bishop and or Hudobin's age probably have Seattle take defenseman Jamie Oleksiak as they did, but it did make it a bit more intriguing heading into the draft. And while I kept saying the win-loss record of the Hudobin and Ottinger tandem last year wasn't good, as with a non-playoff team you would expect, their individual stats in both goals against average and save percentage were on the better side of the NHL average, and I haven't got any issues with either goaltender. The condensed schedule, offense, and subsequent overtime shootout loss record weren't the goalies. It was not getting the key goal offensively in close games that cost Dallas all last season more. Hope he didn't fare so well in Vancouver, and I wasn't particularly impressed by his goals against average and save percentage Washington stats from the year prior. But that year, he had a record of 25-14-6 with the Caps, and that was good. Vancouver's defense group last offseason was decimated by letting the D-pairing defensively strong players walk while not addressing it. Just the defensive zone game in Vancouver was a big contribution to Holpe's stat drop as much as it was solely his play. The take here is this. Dallas seems to like Hudoman as a backup where he excelled the year prior. At 22, they want Oninger to play lots, and having him in Texas in the American Hockey League will allow that. So, because Bishop may not return from injury, they get Holpe to at worst play split duty with Doby, but I think to potentially be the actual starter next year if he can perform up to the task. And it's not much of a risk because Bishop will have an opportunity to return at some point, and it's possible then Hudobin or Holpe could be dealt to, say, Edmonton just to pick a team that may may be looking in season for a capable NHL goalie, and that could provide Dallas a nice return. If you look at the available goalies left, and as a Dallas fan, why would you? But if you look at other NHL teams' current goalies as potential trading partners, that's actually how you should be looking at this. One more thing, Jake Oninger can play at the NHL level. That's why there's no risk to this. If Holtby doesn't perform, or Hudobin, you bring up Oninger to play, and if you lose one of the or Hudobin, those off of waivers because you can't make a deal, well, it's the underperforming goalie that you do lose. All of this depth-wise just gives you a ton of options, including during injuries, to still have NHL-capable goaltending, however it plays out. And name a team with the internal competition and net like Dallas will have. That's also a good thing. This is Central Division Hockey, the podcast. We'll take a quick break and return to take a look at Dallas's D and forward groups for the next season so far. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. 
Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. This is a team-focused 2021-22 draft and free agency review for the Dallas Stars, turning our attention to the D group. Defense, as I mentioned, it was second-pair left-hand defenseman Jamie Oleksiak that Seattle selected in the expansion draft. I thought they would. I was surprised at the number of draft lottery predictions that didn't have him as being the Seattle choice. I was starting to second-guess myself that I was missing something. It was a substantial loss to a very good, and it can be argued quite possibly, best top four group of the Central Division teams. The biggest off-season housekeeping for GM Nil was re-signing restricted free agent and cornerstone right-hand defenseman 22-year-old Miro Haskinen to an $8.45 million eight-year long-term deal. Left-hand defenseman Essa Lindell, one of the NHL's most underrated defensive defensemen, 27, current deal has four years to go. Offensively gifted alike Haskin and right-hand defenseman John Klingberg, 29, has one year at $4.25 million. And if I were guessing a term for his extension, I would think three years. That would put those three, along with unrestricted free agent signing, Ryan Suter, left-hand defenseman, 36, who signed to a $3.65 million four-year deal after being bought out by Minnesota altogether. It's to say a Klingberg three-year extension would have the group of four for the next four years, and I talked at length in Minnesota's free agency review of my thoughts on the Suter buyout. I like Dallas picking him up to play second pair. While not as physical as Alexiak, Suter is good defensively and can still contribute point production, but will absolutely allow Klingberg to play offensively while Lindell does the same with the defensive responsibilities for Haskinen. All four are capable of 22-minute average time on ice while giving Haskinen closer to 25 minutes. Trust me, the Dallas pickup of Suter was a clear indication they want to go for it. It's a win-now move. Dallas still has Andre Sekera, 35, for the bottom pair left-handed, but added right-hand defenseman Yanni Hockenpah, 29, at $1.5 million on a three-year deal, who can play up the depth chart and log high-end bottom pair minutes, except that in good health, he actually won't be needed to this year in Dallas. If you factor in Joel Hanley, 30, as another low-cost left-hand defense vet, and while both right-hand defense and utility right wing Mark Pesek and never used Taylor Fadoon from last year have moved on. Dallas's playing 6D group and 7D man are to me the Central Division's best D group for next season. There is an offensive threat in each pairing with a strong defensive playing D partner that should give offense from the defense and still be better defensively. Based on the time on ice, I went with Lindell and Haskinen as the top pair and put Suter and Klingberg as the second pairing. If you swap Lindell and Suter, you still have a defensively strong D-man with a more offensively gifted one. What I would like to see limited is having the right-hand D playing together of the top four because while Haskinen and Klingberg offensively look dynamic, it does come at the expense of defensive play doing that. And for its upside, the drawback to me isn't worth it. I even think Hockenpah on the bottom pair provides additional point production that last year's Dallas team simply didn't have 
and Sekera is defensively responsible as well. Also, like the abundance of goalies, there is the ability to have injury relief while the D group doesn't take a drop off in play and hopefully not often have to do it. I have talked a lot about off-season moves with the Central Division teams often looking like maintaining the status quo of the roster positionally. Dallas's move on the back end are an upgrade. Not surprisingly, that's a big reason I picked them in the expected playoff teams with the early predictions. And, as I have said who was signed and who departed, the depth chart pieces fit in real playing capabilities, the D playing on their natural sides, and is collectively based on last year's recent play, a better group than last year's. If I was coach Rick Bonus looking at my depth chart for the D group, I'd be beaming ear to ear with how this has worked out. Consider how highly I regard Jamie Oleksiak, and you can listen to the old podcast, that I am saying that this is an upgraded D group, has weight to it, and the job GM nil did. This is cup contender worthy level D group status. Moving to look at the offense, at this point we are two years where it really came down to this team's success being about scoring goals. When they did in the Edmonton playoff bubble, they found themselves in the Stanley Cup final. Last year when injuries, which were a big part of it, and the condensed schedule, they couldn't score again. They missed the playoffs altogether. I really think there is going to be more than enough offense here. My guess is most Dallas fans won't listen to the Minnesota Review and vice versa, but one of the things Minnesota coach Dean Evison did is spread out his top nine and even top 12 minutes more evenly in his forward group, and actually how they did that is in last year's Minnesota team review more so than this year's free agency review for Minnesota. I bring it up now as where I'm going to take this Dallas step chart for the forward group this year does borrow off of what I really liked about Minnesota's distribution of time on ice that I feel Dallas coach Rick Bonus could deploy with Dallas this year. It's saying the Minnesota 2020 team review shows the results in a breakdown format that does show a model of what good goal production and goal scoring by committee should look like. I mention it as a reference point for the Dallas fans because the credit belongs to Coach Dean Evason for how I went about putting together Dallas's depth chart. I want you to at least understand the basis for how I did it is at least comparable to how Minnesota did it last year. I'm not just making up lines an actual team couldn't deploy effectively. What it does require is not thinking of the Dallas forward group in a top six, bottom six set, but of an equally distributed minute time on ice top nine and the fourth line just getting slightly less time on ice. And although this is what I would do, I will try to explain other options because a lot of depth charts, for example, will have Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan on the same line, and that's entirely possible to actually be the case. Just to summarize, one more thing regarding the success of the Minnesota forward group deployment. Team leading goal scorer, rookie Kirill Kaprizov, was just under 30 goals. Kevin Fiala over 20 goals. And Joel Eriksson missed the 20-goal mark by a goal with 19. The key to it, as the team's three leading goal scorers, 
they all played on different lines. I think it's safe to regard all of them as top six players. I know in the year-end review, I did, but you often think of anyone not on the first two lines, a third-liner, bottom six player. And with evenly spread out minutes, you have to think of the top nine more of equal value. In doing that, and we only had interdivisional play last regular season, it provided most nights at least one line mismatch against all but true cup contenders, well built teams like Colorado and Vegas, the other teams in the West Division, Arizona, San Jose, LA, Anaheim, and yes, even St. Louis, weren't as deep to compete against Minnesota's deployment. Those teams had to pick who they would try to shut down line-wise, but it left a good goal scorer in a good matchup to be able to produce. I look at the makeup of the Dallas group, and I think that success could be duplicated, even surpassed by Dallas's available forward group this year, modeling it to that deployment. Whether Dallas coach Rick Bonus does or not, that's up to him, but I'm going to suggest it here. And rather than number the lines as one, two, or three, I will just refer to them by the center of each line. The Pavelski line keeps center Joe Pavelski 37, last year's Dallas team leader in goals and points between Jason Robertson, 22, the Calder Trophy runner-up, and Rope Hintz, 24, on right wing. Over a full season and one that sees Hintz play a full schedule of games should have all the three of those players reach 20-plus goals, and I think at least one of them over the 30-goal mark, but it doesn't require the trio having to play upwards of 20 minutes time on ice average per game, I don't think, for them to get to those totals. Last year, they were the line that did a lot of the heavy lifting, but I don't think Dallas will be solely dependent on the line this year. Part of that is because of the Sagan line. All-star center Tyler Sagan, 29, only played three games last year. I put Yol Kivi Ranta 25 at left wing and Alexander Radulov 35 at right wing. The trio last year's games played doesn't add up to a single healthy player playing a full 56 game shortened schedule. This line is a real spot in their returns to health to find real goal and point production Dallas didn't have last year. Sagan should be close to near 20 goal player and Radulov in 11 games played before being hurt had 12 points. It's a point-per-game player. Kivi Ranta emerged in the playoff bubble with five goals in 14 postseason games played. He contributed six goals in 26 games played last year, but putting him with high-end top six forwards just as he enters his prime years is simply taking a talented player with goal-scoring ability and, like Dallas did with Robertson a year ago, putting him in a position to be successful with the help of top-level line mates. The three represent largely the difficulty of scoring through the lineup by not being able to play collectively. Certainly, Dallas, as we continue, still was able to ice a top six of comparable value. The bottom six was greatly affected, and the lack of goal production is absolutely what cost Dallas a playoff spot. And these three are part of because of injury, it wasn't generated. Last year, by season's end, the Ben line was the team's second line, and I've kept them together in this team forward group model. Ben 32 at center between Radic Faxa 27 center, but at left wing, and Dennis Gurionov 24 at right wing. First, Jamie Ben looked good back at center, and if you want him on the wing, he and Faxa could switch. 
Ben had the slightly better face-off win percentage of the two at 56.1% compared to Faxa's 55.8%. Faxa had a down year, but how much was that against tougher matchups with a whole line of top six or at least top nine players out of the lineup with this Dallas group? I also get a lot of Dallas team depth charts. Simply put Ben on left wing with Sagan and Radulov and put Faxa at center with Kivirana and Gurianov. That can absolutely be what Coach Bonus does, and I just think it won't generate as much offense. The idea I'm going off of is a top nine group that all three lines can be 17 minutes minimal time on ice with the remaining minutes going to the new look fourth line. It also puts a vet and in his prime age player and one not quite there on each line as well for balance. The 30 plus players, Pavelski, Radulov, and Ben over three lines. Hints, Sagan, and Faxa, while the youngest trio, Robertson, Kiviranta, and Gurianov, are all separated age wise as well. That's by design because I like that makeup of the Pavelski line and Dallas could make the other two lines in similar fashion. Yes, I agree, there is a tendency to load up Sagan with Ben and Radulov. However, Faxa between Kiviranta and Gurianov is what the third line becomes by doing that. To me, that will probably decrease the goal protection of all three, but especially Kiviranta and Gurianov, and they have the ability to produce goals. I just think the playmaking skills of Sagan and Ben and putting one of Kiviranta and Gurionov with them generates more. And the key to Dallas being a playoff team is quite simply goal production. That is Bonus's job here. However, you want to agree or disagree with my depth chart of the forward group. What most, I think, will agree with is that we have the same expected nine forwards in the top nine. What most wouldn't dare to do, probably because of salary maybe, simply not have been in the team's top six and likewise put Kiviranta into the top six. Most even would put Faxa, my simple argument is Kiviranta in about half of the games played had the same goal production as Faxa did last year. They both scored six goals. What is the upside of Kiviranta's goal production playing with Sagan and Radulov versus, say, Faxa or Ben by comparison? Plus, Ben's playmaking ability benefits Gurianov if Faxa and Guri had down years, and they did a bit. They have built playing ability with Ben, and that trio's production, I think, is better because Dallas won't be dependent on it. They do still need the time on ice for that line to get goal production and the deployment makes most NHL teams that aren't deep enough to try and line match over these three lines with difficulty. The thinking one of these lines gets an advantageous line matchup and whomever the line is any given night they will be able to take advantage of it. It's a lot easier to contain Dallas's forward group if Ben, Sagan, and Radulov are all on a line together, and they don't have to be, and still can be playing comparatively as much time on ice as they do, even if they were, if it's spread out properly. Does Coach Bonus do this? That's up to him, but he should consider trying it out. Let's talk about the traded just before Seattle Expansion Draft Center Jason Dickinson 26 at this point. 
I'm bringing him up at this point because if he were still on the roster, it would be the fourth line when we would be. I like Dickinson. He has top nine value. Unfortunately, the goal and point production he had at the junior level has never materialized at the NHL level. And in his prime years, it really should have. That would have provided a better two-way game balance third line value. Even so, I didn't model Radic Faxa as the fourth line center, nor would have either, but Dallas in good health had Dickinson and primarily the third line all but down to the fourth line, making him expendable. It wouldn't have been the worst case scenario that Dickinson was selected over left-hand defenseman Jamie Alexiak in the expansion draft, but I just don't think had he remained and the two exposed that Seattle still wouldn't have bet on and taken Alexiak as they did. GM Nill's choice to move on is a difficult one on Dickinson, but it's only injuries that get him back into the top nine role he had last year, and the team needed to generate goal production in this forward group, and that was something Dickinson hadn't provided nearly enough. So, I understand the trade. Left winger Andrew Cogliano, 34, signed a $1 million one-year deal with San Jose, and that's another bottom six player that struggled last season to generate point production. And Cogliano wasn't as good defensively either as he has been, whether third or fourth line. What Dallas did do is sign center 32-year-old Luke Glendening on a $1.5 million two-year deal. And that's the team's projected fourth line center. The one thing he did exceptionally well is win faceoffs. His 60.9 percentage faceoff win percentage makes Dallas extremely good up the middle. Whether you decide to put one of Ben or Faxa at center or wing in the top nine, Pavelski at 52% represents the low faceoff win percentage of the expected centers for this season based on last season. If you're a big analytic fan of face-off win percentage value, Dallas looks especially strong here and as good as it was last year, improves that metric that wasn't bad to begin with. It wasn't an area of concern that they are now improved upon with Glenn Denning. Glenn Denning won't have to be asked to do as much as he did in Detroit either, and that is going to, I think, maximize his value. Additionally, instead of Cogliano, Dallas picks up unrestricted free agent Washington bottom six forward. Left wing, 32-year-old Michael Raffle on a $1.1 million one-year deal. Comparative cost value and Raffle hopefully adds fourth line goal production that Cogliano struggled to do. Dallas does bring back right wing, 35-year-old Blake Como, and that's who I slot on the fourth line with Raffle and Glendening a vet group that can all play more than the minimum 10-minute average time on ice, fourth liners would, but probably if you're distributing the time on ice well, needn't play over 12 minutes per game. I certainly expect not 15-minute average time on ice that Como did a year ago, and Glendening was just under last year as well. This forward group 12, all healthy, is of cup contender team quality, top to bottom. All these players are NHL capable everydayers and the reason you find variations in Dallas step charts is simply the fact that there are movable parts as to how the playing 12 you could deploy this group as. I've shared how I would but again this will be coach bonuses decision making on how it does look next season in Dallas. 
What it did remind me was this playing 12 forward group was similar to the options that Minnesota had last year. It looks like a team built to try and win now in its construction. And Raffle Glendening drop in my model exactly where Dickinson and Cogliano were to come out. It's rare on depth chart modeling of teams that that's the case. This Dallas model, it absolutely was. That's a sign of a well-constructed NHL caliber roster that this is, and it's why Dallas should be considered as an expected playoff-bound team. If you're simply arguing over whom plays with whom, then much like Minnesota last year, you're in agreement with the fact they all can play at the NHL level. That's what playoff teams should look like. One thing injuries did afford with the Dallas forward group a year ago was a chance to see the forward organizational depth available and how prospects were on the developmental curve in NHL real situations. That group for spot injury replacement value, I think, also exists. Center prospect 21 tied to Landria impressed me most. I would hope if his number in injury replacement is called, it's to play in Dallas's top nine, not on the fourth line. He, to me, still projects to be a top six NHL player, and playing top minutes at the AHL level is better than 10 minutes fourth line duty at the NHL for getting him there. He is one of the players, though, that has the skill set now to play up the lineup. That, in full health, I don't have in the lineup. Otherwise, fourth line replacement value players for Dallas include center left winger, 29-year-old Tanner Kirill, left wing right wing prospect Nick Camano, 22, center left wing 25-year-old Rhett Gardner, who all were re-signed by Dallas, and already still under contract center 26-year-old Yul Lesprince to the group, who are all capable of fourth line spot duty and injuries at the NHL level. And while Dallas moved on from forward center 30, Justin Dowling, who signed a two-year 750K per deal with Vancouver, if he were with this group, he wasn't to me based on his play last year, who I would be considering even in the first three call-ups to be inserted into the Dallas lineup. He is part of the group of players that I like Dallas moved on from. A lot of Seattle expansion draft predictions I saw had center left wing 23-year-old prospect Adam Masherin as Seattle's pick from Dallas. He is an unsigned restricted free agent, the only one Dallas hasn't re-upped, and has two 18-goal campaigns with Texas at the American Hockey League level. I haven't seen him play myself, but there's a lot of interest in his development if others were expecting him to be selected over Oleksiak, a proven NHL defenseman, that I'm keeping an eye on him now as 34 points in 37 games played in the AHL last year is point production level that should lead to getting an NHL level opportunity. But cracking Dallas's lineup isn't easy to do while saying that. Summer prediction for next season, Dallas third in the Central Division. That would have them in the Central Division 2-3 matchup that I predict would be against Winnipeg. Final thoughts. This team in full health is a cup contending team that you have to put it in the expected playoff mix group in the Central Division next year. The offseason moves of GM Nil to me address exactly who has departed and keep the group competitively strong. The Central Division, I expect, will be more competitive a division than the Pacific in the Western Conference. 
Within the Central Division, Winnipeg addressed their big issue and proved defensively. Minnesota has more questions and aren't as deep in their forward group. They have uncertainty with resigning team lead goal and point getter Kirill Kaprizov and aren't any stronger up the middle, whereas Dallas and the only thing that people can use to put Dallas lower ranking-wise is the extraordinarily disproportionate injuries that disabled this team's ability to score goals and miss the playoffs last year in an even more condensed schedule conditions than any other team played under. I'd bet against in a more reasonable schedule that Dallas reemerges minimally to where they were at the regular season pre-COVID pause of 2019-20, a playoff-bound spot team in the mix for top spot, but just below the West Division leaders. Maybe one of St. Louis or Minnesota do perform to drop Dallas down, but also what if Colorado or Winnipeg don't perform as I expect them to? I'd put Dallas fourth in the West as a half-cup empty prediction and second in a full-cup prediction. So I really like this team a lot finishing third because it seems the right middle ground for expectations. This, to me, is the team everyone seems to be underestimating being as good as it is this upcoming year. Teams would be wise not to sleep on Dallas. Thank you for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and the team focused 2021-22 draft and free agency review for the Dallas Stars. Up next, in the next podcast, we turn our attention to Winnipeg and how their offseason is going. you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can with the bartesian home cocktail maker bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button choose from over 50 different cocktails from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today you'll always get freshly mixed perfectly balanced cocktails with the bartesian cocktail maker and now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday entertaining the Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at Bartesian.com holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at Bartesian.com holiday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.